Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Parent Driven Development Podcast. I'm Josh, and today I'm here with my friend Chris. Hello, I'm Chris Sexton, and I'm joined with my friend Sarah. I'm Sarah, and I'm here with my friend Allison. Hi, I'm Allison McMillan, and today we are joined by our guest, Jess. Jess is the CTO of Optoro, an enterprise software company that helps retailers handle returned inventory. She has over 20 years of experience working in tech, uh, moving through IT support, operations, development, and eventually into leadership. She contributes to open source, organizes the joy of programming and leaders in tech meetups, and is the host of the DC Tech Slack. When she unplugs, Jess can be found cooking, playing music and board games, and spending time with her son, Quinn, although she often codes instead of sleeping. Welcome, Jess. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Today, we're talking about uh, a topic that I'm actually really excited to discuss. Um, We're talking about... Uh, being trans. And so that's going to be a a couple of things. We're talking about um, being a trans parent, having a child who's trans, a little bit of gender identity. Um, For those of you who follow us on Twitter, um, you'll have seen that over the last couple of weeks, we've been um, collecting questions from from listeners and from folks about this topic. Um, And so that's going to sort of guide our conversation today. I like how transparent sounds like the word transparent, and that's kind of how I feel this is. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's it's a great, there's a lot of great trans jokes, actually, like transport, transparent, like every every trans thing gets turned into a meme, I I think, actually, in the community. It's really funny. (laughs) Really? That's hilarious. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's it's just like ripe for it. It's great. (laughs) Nice. Cool. So, so I'm going to actually kick off with, uh, with a question that, that I have. And okay, so I have a three year old. And how do I phrase this? I want him to be, you know, exposed to like, lots of different kinds of people and lots of ideas and lots of, you know, like not feel like anything is sort of like taboo or that he can't be anything or, you know, whatever. But I think what's really interesting with with him is that, uh, he's very into, I don't know if, if other kids at other ages sort of are same or different, but he's very into categorizing things like very strictly as like boy stuff and girl stuff, right? Like I wouldn't say so much like toys or whatnot, but he definitely talks about like boy parts and girl parts. And, you know, even when I was pregnant, I found my, like he at one point asked uh, if I could like put the baby in his tummy and, you know, I was like, oh, well, you know, like only women, only mommies can have, you know, can have babies in their tummy. Boys don't have babies in their tummy. And then I was like, should I have explained that differently? How should I be talking about this with like, you know, gender identity and boy parts and girl parts? And, you know, he often talks about like himself or my husband, like, oh, we have these parts, we are boys, you have those parts, you are girls. And so my question is, right, like, this is a pretty complex and sort of confusing, I feel like, topic for a child when their urge to, like, classify and make things sort of, like, black and white is so, like, so apparent. And just you have, like, you have a, a son that's around the same age. So, how do you talk about that or explain that or do it in a way that it's like not confusing for them? That's a really good question. And I mean, you're right. It's a really complex topic. Yeah. My son, he's, he's three. Uh, his birthday is the end of April. So 
Um, I think he's just about a month or so behind behind your son. And it's interesting, like he does not do this classification thing. And so I was thinking about this, and I think that it's very normal for most children to be kind of socialized to understand that bifurcation, I think, in gender. And I've actually kind of dug into it a little bit with my son. I'm like, is this for boys or is this for girls? Or are you a boy or are you a girl? And I mean, he, he knows he's a boy. And he doesn't really have this kind of strong separation, though, of like toys or clothes or things like that. And he plays with um, kids of both genders and he plays with toys that are normally associated with both genders pretty equally, actually. I think it's very interesting. Now, my thoughts, I guess, go to, uh, well, maybe he's trans. <laughs> um, but I don't really know. And I, I, I also, part of me wonders, like, is this just how we typically socialize children? Uh, because typically you are raised with, like, you know, um, cis-normative, I think, kind of parents. And that's pretty typical. And that's fine. That's it's good. And I don't really know how to do it otherwise, frankly. What things that I do? Are I say that, you know, oh, this toy is for everybody or but I honestly I don't have that experience myself with my son because he doesn't frankly do it. And so I'm trying to think of like how I might do that with other people's children. And I don't know, I try I I think it's you know, my kids are a little bit older and we definitely went through kind of phases of that. Like there was originally uh, my wife and I both work and you were also that extremely stereotypical like, you know, mom and dad, two kids and a dog type family. And there was, especially early on, there was not a lot of like, oh, that's for girls and that's for boys. And I think we were very conscious about not doing that to the point where we avoided like princessy stuff until my daughter, who's the oldest, went to, to preschool. And she she went to preschool and all of a sudden her friends were running around and it was all about Disney princesses. Um, and we weren't opposed to it. We just never had any of it around. And she took to that immediately. It just clicked for whatever reason. And I don't know if that's because it was these new kids that she likes or if it was just she thought that was super interesting or whatever. And we were fine with it. We were just really surprised at how quick it just like clicked. I think most science or most medicine whatever has <laughs> proven that, you know, the gender identity is is really internal to each individual. And I think most people would say that it's somewhat more in flux um, until the child is, I think as young as three is the typically considered uh, accepted age at this point. And at that point, children tend to understand more so what ident- how they identify. And so I think it's very normal for a child who has a strong identification to one gender or the other or some whatever it is to demonstrate typical like behaviors that we associate with those genders. And it may be that Quinn just hasn't really either settled on a gender for intrinsically or that his personal gender identity is inclusive of all kinds of different expression. I mean, I don't really know yet, um, but I think it's very interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think it's for us, it's like it's less about toys and more about, OK, so we talk about like you know, especially because I was pregnant, we talked a lot about like body parts. Right. And so like, he, you know, he's like, I have a penis and daddy has a penis and this person has a penis and that person has a penis. But, you know, mommy, like mommy has a vagina and this person has a vagina and this person has a vagina and everyone has a tushy. It's like that sort of classifying. It's more sort of like body part. And I guess body parts, I mean, maybe I guess part of the question is like how, much does body parts 
biology like relate to gender identity in terms of explaining but you know I mean there are so like the example of like me talking about how like you know mommies can have babies in their tummies like there have been stories and examples recently of how you know folks that present as male but you know have female biology you know are essentially like men that have babies in their tummies right and it's like I haven't even sort of addressed that with him because it just feels so confusing to address that with him. Yeah, totally understand that. The way I handle <laughs> this with Quinn, because like he walks in on me and on the shower and stuff like that. It happens all the time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, some girls have penises and some girls don't. And some boys have penises and some boys don't. And or with vaginas or whatever it is. The way that I explain it is that some people have this and some people don't. And you can't really tell just by looking at their body what gender they are. And that's okay. And you just have to ask. (laughs) So I have some experience. So I have two daughters. One is four and one is eight. And um, the eight-year-old has always, they, they have very different ways of seeing the world. So, like, I've read a lot about how there, some people are very black and white thinkers, and they they really strongly need to categorize things. And that's my four-year-old. My eight-year-old is more like, she can see the gray. She can see, like, oh, it's everything is not easily, like, categorized. So, when I talk to her about, you know, well, sometimes, you know, mommies have penises or, you know, like, s- explaining all the things that she might not understand. And she kind of gets it. You know, we talk about it and she's like, oh, okay. The four-year-old is like, no, (laughs) no. Like boys have penises and girls have vaginas. And so she really (laughs) has a hard time with it, even though like they've been raised by the same people in the same environment. Um, So I think there's like, there's some people who are just need to have that like, categorization that's just like really hard for them and there's some people that kind of understand all the grays a little bit better so we personally have been struggling with that of like trying to reach the kid in the way that makes sense for them like they have different views of how the world works you know and so like it's much easier with the eight-year-old to talk about this stuff and we've been struggling more with like the four-year-old who wants to put everything in a box, you know? Uh, yeah, that makes total sense to me. I I mean, I think that you can still have these kind of categories. I think it's more about, like, how, how do you apply the boundaries to the categories? It's like, what is the defining characteristic? And mm-hmm. I think what I try to do is to say that the defining characteristic isn't my physical aspects, but it's what I tell you. I think that that may be more complicated kind of a, a boundary, I think, and I think it's fine. I mean, it, certain children as they develop and even people I think can have a hard time really grasping that. And that's okay. And most of what I ask from people is, is just acceptance, even if you don't understand, but yeah, I think you can still kind of define different kinds of categories and even honestly categories beyond just like boy and girl. I think that we're seeing a lot more people who are like gender non-binary or um, gender fluid or things like that. And I think that's um, another kind of a set of categories to introduce that we don't typically talk about and we don't typically see in books and things like that. And that can maybe also make it a little more difficult, but yeah, I totally, I totally hear you. You know, I think it's, if there wasn't all this outside influence on like people doing the categorization for my kids, it'd be much easier. But when other people are defining those categories, it's just like so frustrating because she comes home. She's like, no, like 
people have told me that this is the way things are. And now I have to like combat that outside influence, yeah. uh, which I think is the hardest part. And so, you know, trying to kind of overwrite all this like peer pressure and social norms that she's learning from other places with the four-year-old is especially difficult. Yeah. Well, and we find that for all the things that we have to combat from <laughs> bad external influences, you know, part of me is like, that's hardly unique. Definitely having discussion that like, nope, nope, there's nuance and we have to understand details. And if people ask us to treat or talk about or call them or, or whatever in a certain way, then shouldn't they deserve to have, you know, that much respect? Seems like a, a great kind of base conversation. Uh, but yeah, navigating that, and there is so much pressure, especially from other people that they have grown up to love and respect, and they're getting mixed messages, and, and that really gets tricky, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. My personal experience, I, I'm I'm personally comfortable with helping people work through these things. I'm very happy to be a guest like this, for example, because I'm like the the very rare <laughs> trans person who's super comfortable with talking about all the things. Um, I think it gets harder for most of the community when they don't feel comfortable talking about these things. And if they're presented with a, a challenge to how they're presenting themselves, then I think that can be pretty difficult. And I think it's a beautiful thing when parents can help their children learn that kind of compassion uh, for those people who are in that position. But I, I personally recognize that that we still have a ways to go in society before that's the norm. I think that it's common in the community to get really frustrated by that. And so I think some people end up trying to, I think, really isolate themselves from the cis normative world. I think sometimes because they can get bruised by it occasionally. But I think if a parent has the opportunity to teach empathy and compassion, this is one of many opportunities for that. So here's a question. If, like, for example, my four-year-old is somewhere and sees someone and wants to know what gender they are, like, that has been something that I want to make sure that the person that she might be directing that to isn't hurt by whatever she might say as, like, a four-year-old who's trying to understand the world. What is a good way to, like, minimize whatever? Like, I is it better to kind of be loudly vocal of, like, Sure. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what gender that person is. Like, that's how I feel about it. It's like, why do you care? Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't want to, I don't want the person to be hurt by whatever conversation she might be bringing up in public. Totally. Or, on that. Yeah. Or if it's like a new, right. Like if somebody says like, oh, I'm non-binary and that's like not something you talk to your kid about, right. Like you say like, oh, we'll talk about that at home or, you know, like, yes. Sarah, thank you for asking that question. I was like totally just thinking the exact same thing. Because like Jess, when you said before, oh, you know, like I just have my, you know, encourage my child to like ask. I was like, oh, my God, I would never think to encourage my three-year-old to ask somebody like what their, <laughs> like, what their you know, what they identify as, or, like what their pronouns are or whatever. So now yeah. I'll let you answer the question. <laughs> yeah. I've had this happen to me a number of times uh, at the park, uh, especially when I was earlier uh, on transitioning and the hormones really hadn't kicked in as well. <laughs> yeah, kids would come up to me and be like, are you a boy or a girl? Or you're a boy. Why are you wearing girl clothes or things like that? The way I would handle it would just be like, no, I'm a girl. That's okay. But 
I definitely see parents react in a variety of ways to their children doing that. And some were like, oh, uh, she's a girl. It's okay. Or, oh, my God, how could you possibly ask? That was horrible. Or, gosh, that's such a freak over there even, too. I've gotten a little bit. Not so much in D.C., yeah. thankfully, but, you know, a little bit. The the things that I appreciated the most were the parent just being like, oh, no, that's she's a girl. She said that. Or um, that's okay. I mean, she's curious and this child just wants, just wants to understand. I'm sorry for that question. I hope you don't mind. But that was okay, too. I think what worked best for me was when the parent was just like, oh, no, of course, she's a girl. And then I think there's an opportunity for conversation later. But like in the moment, I think it's just about simply correcting the child and being like, you know, it's okay. I understand it's confusing, but she's a girl. And that happens sometimes. People get confused. You know, I think a child is going to ask questions like that. That's normal as a child, especially a younger kid, because they don't know better. The polite way to ask among adults, I think, is typically to start by saying, oh, hey, my pronouns are she and her. What are your pronouns? Do you mind sharing with me your pronouns? That typically gives people the opportunity to to share who they are in a, in a safe way, especially if you start by, ask, by, by sharing yours. Uh, then it normalizes that behavior effectively. But for a child, teaching a child to do that, I think, could be tough, especially a younger child. Maybe an older child, you can do that. But like, there's no way my three-year-old would do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really cool suggestion to start with your own pronouns and not jump to right away, like shine a spotlight, like you over there, what are your pronouns? Like that kind of implicitly says, well, we all know what our pronouns are, but what are your pronouns? Yeah. Yeah, actually, I've been to a number of um, different kinds of uh, events among queer community. And a lot of them these days just start by everybody sharing their pronouns. It's just like a normal way to start any event, Um, especially when presentation doesn't always match identity, uh, as is more the case for uh, typically non-binary people. It can be confusing. I think often it's hard to tell just by looking at folks. And even totally binary people have various kinds of presentation. And so it's just kind of a way to normalize it and make it something that just kind of gets it off the table and you don't have to think about it anymore. It's great. Yeah. I've been uh, volunteering at a camp that does this and it, you know, from what I've talked to you from the other like counselors and stuff, kids like picked up on it really quickly and were really comfortable with it. And I thought that was really cool that like they were totally like, Oh yeah, here are my pronouns. It's something that, you know, even though I think there were like early middle school kind of age kids, um, but they were totally like, oh, yeah, yeah, here's my pronouns. And I think kids are much more open to these discussions now than we maybe might be at our age. And it's kind of important to remember, like, kids have been raised in a different culture than we were. And they might be way more open to these discussions than we think they are. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, that's why, to me, it's important to sort of like, figure out how to like introduce these concepts and like have them as just a regular part of what we do or, you know, regular like language that we use in our household. Because I mean, I think that they'll take to generally like whatever you introduce them to, right? Like whatever they feel the norm is. And so while it's sort of weird, I think for us to start, you know, it feels still a little foreign to start with like, oh, my pronouns are, you know, she and her, what are your pronouns? If, you know, if a child is doing that from a young age, like, it's just like saying, hi, how are you? So yeah, I mean, I think that's like, one of the reasons why it's important to, to have this conversation. One of the people that that wrote in uh, sort of less, less of a question, but um, more of like a little bit of, of a comment. So this person said that they had a young trans girl at the local elementary school. 
And then there were a bunch of community conversations that led to a lot of like parental learning about child development and gender identity and those sorts of things. And I think I don't really know that much about this, to be very honest, but I'm actually curious if more children are. So I was interested to see this question because it was a young trans girl at a local elementary school, right? Most of the folks that I know that use sort of like non-binary, gender fluid, trans, et cetera, sort of identities are, are older. And so I'm curious as like if younger kids are, you know, talking about this more or recognizing this earlier because it's, I guess, there's more awareness about it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. When I was young, you know, looking back, I recognized that I knew that I was trans when I was like nine. And, you know, at that point, media representations of trans people were like the Jerry Springer show. And my expectations of what it was to be trans was to be a freak and an outcast. So I didn't want to be that. (laughs) So I was like, no, that's not me. And so I, you know, ran from it and hid from it and stuff like that for a long time. But Today, cultural expectations of trans people are very normalized, and it's a great thing to be trans. It's a totally normal thing. It's a very typical thing uh, to some extent. And I think that's really opened the door for younger people to be more accepting of themselves when that happens. And the medical community is also that way, too. Um, you know, uh, when the, uh, the DSM took it out of the list of like psychological disorders, effectively, that I think was a really strong message, too, to people that this was okay to be trans. And I don't want to hide from it. Uh, and so I think that I'm actually in an interesting bubble, and a lot of my friends are in that I think that late transitioners are going to become less and less common. And it's going to be just part of growing up is that, oh, well, your gender identity doesn't match your your body. Okay, well, let's treat that and handle that. And that's okay. And uh, I think that transitioning young will be more of the norm um, for those people who do transition. And so it's an interesting perspective, I think, that some people in, in my generation can have. But, yeah, I think it's being normalized pretty heavily. We see the same thing with, like, gay and lesbian kids as well. Um, we just had a Pride event in our city, and I met so many middle school kids that are out now as gay or lesbian, which is mind-boggling to me as someone that grew up in the mid-90s. Yeah, totally, 100%. <laughs> That's really interesting. Just just like your experience recognizing that, you know, that you were trans at a young age, what as parents is helpful for making sure that like our children feel like that's okay or they can have those sorts of conversations with us. What are what are some of those signals or things that we can do as parents? First, I want to recommend two things. First, there's this fantastic podcast called How to Be a Girl, which is um, a mother of a trans daughter um, talking about her experiences raising her daughter. Uh, And she starts from the very beginning when her daughter told her she was trans. And she was like, no, you're not. (laughs) She, I think, had a really hard time accepting this. Yeah. But she went through a process of understanding and accepting and is a fantastic ally to her daughter and it's wonderful Uh, and her podcast has been beautiful and really helpful i think for the community and people to understand especially for parents to understand how that works Um, and there's also a book uh, that i recommend called transgender 101 which is a just kind of a general overall guide to these issues and 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 short and i think pretty pretty accessible but i think if your child expresses that they may not be the gender that you thought they were (laughs) i think as a parent the thing to do is to say okay just kind of accept it for a while because I think, you know, I think people do explore 
identity for themselves and uh, especially children, I think to, to, to say that they, the very first time they say something about themselves to know that that's absolutely a fact. I think as parents, we understand that that isn't necessarily out of the gate, always going to stick, but I think to accept it and not to question it up front is the way that I handle it. And I think a, gr- a good way to handle it uh, and to kind of see if it sticks. And, you know, if, like if, if my son told me, Oh, hey, I'm a girl. I'd be like, okay. And do you feel like a girl today? Okay, sure. You know, it's great. If that persists, are you a girl? Yes, I'm a girl. Oh, well, that's great. Maybe let's, uh, do you want different clothes? Yes. No. I mean, that's, that's a nice way to approach it. What do you, what would you like us to do? I think are good things to ask. And you know, if it sticks, if it continues, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. I think there's actually a parent that I was speaking to recently at a conference and she was talking about her uh, child going through this and her child liked to, uh, her child was uh, assigned male at birth and uh, her child liked to wear a lot of dresses and like, so uh, purses and like do all these very, very feminine things. And she was like, well, is my child trans? I'm like, well, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, signs point to trans, but uh, I think what you need to do is I'll first ask the child, do you, are you a boy or a girl? Do you know? That's okay. Uh, I think also working with a child psychologist is a really fantastic thing to do. Um, There's a lot of people who have experience in this now and to just kind of give a safe space for the child to explore and to, to see who they are. I think it's the best thing we can do as parents. And frankly, that's true on all axes of, of who a child is. So do you have anything where just being exposed to this, and I'm certain that you've run into plenty of people that are like, it's obviously a, a, a one or the other thing. How could it be anything else? How do you deal with that? Is, is there something that you found that's disarming or or helps make things you know go smoother or – <laughs> or do you do you head on confront it? Um, sure. Like that that just, that right there seems like such a tricky thing to navigate, where you have people that this has just been their reality, and they just can't understand, and they're convinced that something is horribly wrong by breaking that part of the reality. And yeah, yeah, it's just it seems very just tricky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely run up against this especially, you know, more conservative family members, for example, or people who are just less exposed to things and society changing and stuff like that. For me, it's a, it's a lot of just kind of accepting people and explaining my, how I feel and what, what is right for me. And just talking about my experience. I think that's all we can ever do is speak to our own experiences. Some techniques that have worked for me in speaking with people like this is to say, you know, for me, like I actually use this analogy with uh, an older a family member who was, I think, very concerned. And I said, look, I was like, and this is a story that worked for me and it doesn't work for everybody, but it worked for me. I was like a ticking time bomb. If I didn't handle this, I was going to explode and, you know, probably destroy my family in a really terrible way because I would be horribly depressed. And that depression could be really disabling to me and could really, I think, impact my family in a really horrible way if I didn't transition. Because, like, that's what dysphoria, frankly, is. Gender, the, the, the condition that I was diagnosed with was gender dysphoria, which is to say that my gender presentation effectively gave me this horrible, the opposite of euphoria is dysphoria. And so I was depressed by presenting male. 
And because it wasn't who I was. And for me, it was driven by inauthenticity. That was because that was what made me feel dysphoric is that I wasn't being my authentic self. I was lying to everybody every day about who I was. Um, so anyway, I, I told my older family member, you know, I was a ticking time bomb. This depression was going to destroy me and my family and was going to cause t- untold damage. Uh, and so what I've done is I've called in the bomb squad. You know, uh, going and seeing counseling, getting therapy, working on this is, you know, handling this explosion in a controlled way. And it's still an explosion because, you know, it has an impact on the, everybody around me because they thought I was somebody. And it turns out that I'm not that person that I was presenting myself as. And I understand that it's had consequences and that's okay. But now I can be authentic and now I can handle myself and get rid of that depression and live a life of euphoria. And that's been the case very, very strongly for me. So, I mean, talking about how other people handle this, that's been, that's typically what is true for most trans people is that they have this dysphoria. You don't have to have dysphoria to be trans. It's common, but it's not a requirement. What, what society understands trans to be largely is a disconnect between who somebody believes themselves to be and how they present themselves to the world. And that's just typically accepting people as who they are, as opposed to forcing them to be something that you want them to be. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And, and the dysphoria versus euphoria is actually really interesting, especially with the context of like, don't you realize what this would have done to my family? Yeah. And that, that right there, just, just like, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like for me, the triggers for me not to be able to repress this anymore, frankly, was having my son and the idea of raising my son of lying to my son was just so horribly terrible. And frankly, even thinking of it right now, I'm tearing up because my son, I love him and I want him to know me and I want him to understand who I am and how I see the world. And I, I think it's really important That's to, awesome. to, yep. to be honest with our families. Absolutely. So switching gears a little bit, Jess, I wanted to ask, we, we've talked about a little bit how you handle um, dealing with other people's kids. I wanted to ask in particular about other parents, uh, if you could give us some tips as parents, how to support you and your family. What are things that we should be doing to be good allies and to be setting good examples? And what are the things that you're seeing that people are not doing or should stop doing? <laughs> Yeah. So my, my son goes to daycare and the best allies I have in the parents there are those who just say, oh, hey, that's Quinn's mommy or that's Quinn's mom to their children as they see me. Oh, hey, Jess. Oh, hey, that's Quinn's mom. Can't you say hi? That'd be really nice. Simple things like that, because it's not about being trans. It's about being a person. And I think just like accepting that I had an interesting experience that is daycare actually about when Mother's Day, they uh, gave out little breakfast like croissants or whatever to the mothers who came and dropped their kids off and so uh, my ex and i went together to drop off quinn because uh, we thought it would be a nice way to kind of share mother's day together because we're both his mother and Absolutely. we showed up there and they gave her uh a croissant and not me and it wasn't uh, that, yeah <laughs> uh. yeah but it wasn't like a malicious thing i think at the time it felt malicious but Looking back on it, there was no malice in that teacher's face. It was um, just simple confusion, I think, because they knew me before and they had gotten to know me as you know a man. And I think they just thought that 
I don't know. I, don't, I just didn't think it was a thing. So I was very upset after that. I went outside and I cried a little bit. And I went back in and I spoke with the director there. And I was like, look, I just wanted to share with you that this was a really hurtful thing that just happened. And she was very apologetic. And I think spoke with the teachers. And later they gave me a croissant, I guess, to try to make up for it. But I also... Trans people love croissants, too. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's um, the the parents who are related to the story too. I, I felt so blessed that they were all like, "Oh my god, that's amazingly unthoughtful of the of the school. We want to make sure we can speak to the school on your behalf." I thought that was a beautiful opportunity for allyship too. Is to say, look, this behavior is not okay. We it's important to us to to recognize that Jess is a valuable member of our community and that that she's welcome and we want to support her. And I think that's a really fantastic way to to be an ally as well. Um, I have one more question that we got from the from the community, and this is a little bit more about sort of like gender identity. Uh, and the question is, and I think we talked a little bit about this before, but the question is how to help very young develop their identity in a world of aggressive gender policing. And so the example that uh, that this parent uses, which I feel like we probably all have experiences. Um, they say, my relatives get on us for putting my eight-month-old son in a hand-me-down pink onesie, which I, when I had my daughter and we were just going to use my son's hand-me-downs, our families were like appalled. And when we got some, some quote-unquote girl hand-me-downs, they were like, oh, thank God she'll have dresses. So I feel this too. Um, and so the parents said, I'm trying to figure out, to figure out how to program the boy trucks thing without going a little too far in the opposite direction yeah that's a funny one it could be really challenging too i think especially with older family members <laughs> what i do is graciously accept gifts and then lose them <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> that works for me nice <laughs> i also, like, if my son wanted to wear a dress and a family member had an issue with it, I'd be like, oh, it's just a dress, whatever. Let him play. He's playing. It's fun. I don't know. It's uh, really depends on the people and the situation. But I think maybe trying to phrase it as play could help or maybe trying to say, no, it's okay for, for, for my child to do whatever makes them happy. Don't you want them to be happy? And I think most people want children to be happy fundamentally yeah i was gonna say i think we generally don't we don't have an issue with um with family members in terms of play but i know that like when my son comes home from preschool he talks they often play sort of family and it switches like who's you know the quote-unquote like mommy or a mommy and who's the daddy or a daddy sometimes there are two daddies sometimes there are two mommies sometimes you know boys and mommy girl and his daddy and you know like it's instead of like correcting or saying whatever, like it's just imaginative play. Right. And they're, again, they're like exploring this identity that they have. Um, It's like, are you going to tell a child that no, you're not on a boat, a pirate in an ocean? (laughs) 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 Yeah. I mean, I, I try to like give them options. So if like family members like will buy like one of my daughters hated wearing dresses and she would get tons of dresses and she didn't want to wear them. So I would go and buy her like all the stuff she wanted instead. Or like if she got all doll toys, I would get her trains and dinosaurs. So like she can play with whatever she wants. I'm not 
picking which toys she's playing with, but I'm giving her options, right? So to know that like I'm comfortable with whatever she wants to play with at least gives her the space to like explore. So like even if she's getting those suggestions from other people, like she's not stuck with it. She doesn't feel pressured to do it. I mean, she still does because peer pressure is a thing, but allowing them that space, at least yeah. in their house, I think is important. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think the challenge is um, like people are often very comfortable with that for girls because, well, geez, the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for boys, it's a big challenge because I totally agree. The yeah, that, that double standard is is well established. <laughs> yeah, like I feel way more comfortable making sure that like my daughter, or, like my girl, has like you know blocks and books about like strong feet, you know, like that sort of stuff. It's I actually think that it's a lot more difficult to get and there are a lot less books even like you know children's books and those sorts of things there are a lot less things for boys sort of allowing them to have those I guess like characteristics that are considered more feminine or more you know softer or whatever I think that I think it's a lot harder to go that way than it is to go like girls to boys yeah absolutely there's a whole podcast I'm sure about feminism right there Um, are there any good, this is the last question and we're going to do some, some genius fail moments. Are there any good resources? We talked about transgender 101 and the podcast, how to be a girl. One of our community folks suggested read a crayon story, um, as like a really good children's book about this. Are, are there any other resources, you know, kids books or support materials or whatnot, like support groups, et cetera, for talking about non-binary transgender fluid concepts. Yeah, absolutely. I have, I have not heard of that crayon book yet, but it looks so fun. So I, I bought a copy. So we'll, we'll see. <laughs> it's in the mail. Um, <laughs> let's see for kids books. I have, I am jazz, uh, which is about jazz Jennings. Uh, just her kind of explaining that she is transgender in a, in a very accessible way for children. So that's a nice one. Honestly, like kids books about this are really few and far between. And it's, I think, a huge opportunity in the market. If anybody wants to make a lot of books here, <laughs> I'm sure it gets all quite a few. For adults, uh, I think Transgender 101 is probably the best starting point. PFLAG is really good around this. And there's a lot of PFLAG chapters around the world, I, I believe. Uh, and their support for um, parents, especially of trans kids, has been phenomenal. Um, so definitely check that out. Some of the books I've liked also, like Jenny Boylan is an author. She's written some, I think, really nice books about her experience. And, you know, she's also a mother. She has two children. And she talked about her experience uh, in that and was very, very open about her thoughts and fears and stuff like that. And in fact, uh, recently, one of her children has, has come out as transgender as well. And so her social media presence has been interesting to follow also about how she is processing uh, that or accepting it, frankly. You know, there's tons and tons of books on the subject. I think those are some places to start. Uh, I think if anybody's curious, I'm also happy to chat on Twitter. So please, please, please reach out to me. Great. Thank you. All right. Now for our session of parenting genius or fail moments. Sorry. Our favorite part of the podcast. I have, I believe, a fail. So... I will. I I will start. Are, are you not? Are you not sure? Are you not sure? Do you need to call on this? Well, 
No, it's a fail. It's definitely it's definitely a fail. <laughs> the <laughs> fails are the funnest. <laughs> I'll say this. It's definitely a fail, but because I have like a very confident child, I think that he maybe has turned it into a genius for himself. So okay. So it was July fourth this week. And we live super close to where the fireworks are, um, for, for like our town. We it's literally minute walk uh it's like two blocks away and it's like been years since i've gone because we have kids and actually usually like even though it's super loud the kids sleep through them but this year we decided that we were so first we decided that we were going to bring the kids and go to the fireworks and then we actually looked up what time fireworks started and we were like actually we're not going to bring the baby the baby will like stay home with my husband I love fireworks and Devin have been talking, they've been talking at preschool about the parade and fireworks and Independence Day, et cetera. So he had been talking about them like all day. So I was like, okay, he and I will go see, we'll go see the fireworks. So I woke him up at like nine o'clock, you know, put him in a stroller. We went and he's like so excited. He's talking about how like excited he is to the fireworks. And we, we talked a lot about not just like, the fun part, but also like they can be loud and they're sort of big. You know, I, I like try to sort of like prepare him for that piece. And they, they started and he like pretty much like jumped into my lap. <laughs> and it was just like, they were definitely not what he was expecting. He was definitely terrified. I was like holding oh, no. my hand over his ears. But then as soon as there was like like the first break in fireworks, he like stood up and started clapping and shouted, Yay, fireworks. And then but then like they would send up another one, he would like jump back into my lap and he wanted his, <laughs> we have this like we have this like reflector safety vest for him. So he like wanted his safety vest on because he like <laughs> felt more safe in his safety vest. Anyway, so after about seven minutes, he looks at me and he goes Mommy, they are they are so pretty and they are so fun, but I would really like to go home now. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, I was like, are you sure? He was like, yes, they are very loud. I would like to go home. So, well, this is not the fail part. So we get up and we go home and, you know, we're like walking home and he's talking about how next year when he's a bigger kid, he might stay for the whole time. But right now he's still just a little boy. And so the sound is scary wow. for him. And so he's we're going home and he's like processing all of this. And so we get home and I was like, OK, plus minus. Like, I think he liked them. I think he had fun. But they were also a little loud. Like, that's fine. Anyway, then he's just like laying awake in his bed for like 20 minutes. So eventually he like calls, he calls me upstairs and he starts talking about how he's so scared that a firework is going to come into our house or is going to land on our house because he saw the smoke around the fireworks. And he is just like, what if they come into our house and they break our walls and they come in through the roof? Like he has just like imagined this whole awful fireworks scenario around sound and the anyway. And so I comforted him and then he was like, can you please send up daddy? (laughs) (laughs) My husband was like, 
dealing with this now. And so then he went up and like explained the whole thing. And like my husband had to like had to be in there for like another 20, like until he fell asleep. Um, and so I was like, oh, God, this may actually be like a huge fail that he's like sort of terrified now of like fireworks and fireworks coming into the house and like. My fail multiple episodes ago was that he was, like, scared of the smoke detector. Like, he's still scared of the smoke detector, and he's still, like, very focused on fire safety-related things. <laughs> so now I feel like we've added another level to this, like, whole thing. But I guess I was, the, like... I was going to say, if you wanted to traumatize him, you, were, you needed to set up the smoke detector. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank God the smoke detector didn't go off. That would have... He would have, like, never slept again. Like, that would have just been, like the end of it but um the good news is is that he woke up the next morning and told all of his that he went to see the fireworks and they were awesome and he loved them and they were so pretty and they were a lot of fun right so he sort of like hopefully changed the narrative for himself but he he did also the next evening as he was going to sleep go i'm glad there are no fireworks tonight (laughs) so i'm pretty sure it was a fail and yes that is my that is my fail for the week that's amazing (laughs) so so i have one that transitions the other way it starts as a success and then and then uh moves to a a fail um and that was it that was uh the day before the fourth we wanted to go to the pool it was super hot and muggy and uh, we got to the pool, and it was closed for a swim meet. And so we came home, but the kids were already in swimsuits. And at one point, they suggested, they were like, we're going to wash your truck. And I thought that was a great idea. Uh, and when I say wash, it's in air quotes, because <laughs> it, it only goes as far as little arms can reach. <laughs> There's um, water. Yeah. So it's it, to be fair, it is definitely cleaner. Um, and so that's the win part. And then what happened after the truck, they got bored of, of washing – uh, they just kind of took the hose into the side yard, and it continued to be a win because they were very happy, like siblings playing together, spraying each other right in the face with the hose and screaming and all that. And then it kind of degraded into a muddy soup of a mess in the yard, <laughs> and it still hasn't recovered here three or four <laughs> days later. <laughs> uh, but they played, and they were outside. So I'll, I'll overall, I'll take it as a genius. <laughs> My poor lawn. That's so cute. I have a genius. So uh, Quinn's daycare has been growing cucumbers uh, in the garden as part of a teaching thing. And he brought home two cucumbers yesterday. And I make pickles a lot in my house because uh, I like pickles. It's a trans joke. It's a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> and quick aside, uh, one of the medicines that most uh, trans women are on is spironolactone, which makes you crave salt like whoa, and pickles are a great way to get salt. So anyway, uh, <laughs> so he brought on cucumbers and his other mom was bringing him home and he ran in the door and he's like, Maddie, Maddie, look, I brought home cucumbers for you to make pickles. <laughs> <laughs> so that was That's great. Awesome. And then um, I was like, oh, why don't we make pickles together? And he was like, yes, I love it. And we actually made pickles together, and he had a great time. It was it was a wonderful thing. So huge genius, absolutely. Nice. <laughs> um, I have a win. It's also food related. My daughter is ten, and I thought I thought this was years behind us, but we continually have food wars, and not like food fights, but like you know, what does my daughter want to eat? What will she accept to eat? 
Is she on a hunger strike? Can <laughs> can you have an entire diet of just cheese and carbs? Uh. Like <laughs> and be and have healthy like nutrition and development because um, I know a lot of adults just have cheese and carbs. Yeah, I was say, can I have that? <laughs> <laughs> no, Chris, you need to eat your dinner. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, we've talked in the podcast before how we're real. Um, a lot of us are big fans of meal preparation kits. Um, none of which sponsor our podcast. Please get in touch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I won't name ours, but so we do subscribe to a meal preparation kit and that is kind of, uh, my daughter's, um, nemesis. She hates that a nutritionally balanced, somewhat culinary complex meal gets delivered for three times a week that blows her preferred just macaroni and cheese or quesadillas out of the water. And so we were talking about what we could do to make it more palatable to her. And at first she came up with some suggestions like, well, if it's a dish with rice and meat and some sauces, maybe you could make the sauce separate and maybe you can make the meat separate <laughs> and maybe you could put some cheese on the rice. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> this is just cheese and carbs. <laughs> So what I tried and it's been working okay so far is um, I have her help me pick out the meals that get sent every week. And so we scroll through and there's like a list of like, you know, eight or nine different options and she gets to pick out which meals that we get delivered during the week. And that way during the week I could say, well, you know, you signed off on this. Like, yeah, I did. So I basically (laughs) made her a food manager. Um, Yeah, so that's that's kind of been our win. It's been varying levels of success, but at least, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, I did agree to that. Okay, so it's been getting better. I feel but like you, you might have just described our house. Yeah, mine too. Okay. Like every with the child. <laughs> it helps to hear it's every child. For some reason in my mind, and I'm sure I was as picky of a child eater as well, but for some reason in my mind, like when I was 10, we were having foie gras and, you know, 15 course dinners or something. I'm Perfectly sure it was just back and forth. meals. Yeah. 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 Um, well, they're just programmed now. They're like, uh, like meal prep service. Like, uh, not one of those. <laughs> like they actually sit mac and cheese and they're like, oh, yeah, I don't want it. It's like burgers. Uh, you're like, I'm, what are you I'm talking surprised about? she hasn't asked for a kid's menu at our house at some point. Like, <laughs> We go out to eat. She's just so programmed that like it's oh it's cheese. I know how to make cheese and carbs in every cuisine on the planet. Just ask me. <laughs> my son asked for breakfast the other day. He asked. Fortunately, this was like a day when my husband was home, like helping us get out of the house. But he asked for like he asked for a bagel, one half of the bagel toasted with cream cheese, one half of the bagel plain, and a piece of toast. Like basically he asked for like three different things. And I was like, sure. And then let me get your check. Like what? <laughs> Where are you that's like this? $24 in San Francisco. <laughs> All right. So I have, I, I'm going to say it's a genius. My daughter had to draw a picture of what she wants to be when she grows up. And it was just spiders. And I was like, yes. okay. <laughs> Um, and it said, I want to be a spider vet. This is the four-year-old. And I was like, wow, that's like really compassionate. Like you're, you're, you see spiders and you want to help them. And she's like, well, they put down spider vet, but what I really want to be is a spider pirate. And I was like, 
Wow. Okay. Your kid is the coolest kid. <laughs> oh it was a spider pirate. <gasps> a spider pirate. So I was like, well, how does that work? And we talked about it. And what we figured out is that she's going to be a pirate because she wants to steal stuff and not work. <laughs> uh, so it's mostly out of laziness that she doesn't want to like do the work. So that's kind of a fail, I guess. But she's going to have spiders like do her bidding. So they're going to like help her steal stuff. Uh, mostly steal her sister's toys from That's what very I managerial. This is imagination wise. I'm going to say it's genius. Um, I don't know. I might be raising like an evil villain. We have some concerns. But... <laughs> She's going to be a super villain. Right? She's going to be so sad when she finds out how much work piracy is. <laughs> right? like, or spiders. Or spider raising. And spiders are hard to control. Like, also, so, how funny was it to have this conversation with her? Like, I feel like sometimes as a parent, you're like, I can't believe this is a real conversation that I'm having right now in a very, like, serious way. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she was very serious about it. <laughs> and then I have a future. I don't know if this is going to be a genius or a fail. But, like, when we do another podcast, we can find out. I decided that family vacations are too hard because I, like, I'm the travel planner and I have to do all the work of like finding the places and wrangling the kids and like making things happen. So I was like, I don't want to do that. I'm going to take each kid on a separate vacation, just me and that child. And that child gets to pick anywhere in the continental U S to go. So in two weeks, I'm taking my eight year old to Manhattan for some reason. That's where she wanted to go. (laughs) Uh, which doesn't seem to match her personality at all. I'm kind of baffled. Uh, and then uh, next month, I'm taking the four-year-old to San Diego to go to the zoo. So this is either a genius, brilliant mom moment or a total fail. <laughs> we'll find out which. Find out in the future. <laughs> nice. That's amazing. Yeah. Does your, that, that, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, like maybe it's awesome or maybe I'm just going to like, I don't know. <laughs> Well, see. Great. You know, the airline could sponsor us too. I'm just saying. <laughs> that'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be really nice. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the Parent Driven Development Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have questions that you would like us to chat about on air, email us at panel at parentdrivendevelopment.com or find us on Twitter at, at parentdrivendevelopment. And if you like what you hear, please support us on Patreon. We are patreon.com slash parentdrivendev. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Bye.